Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast. I'm your host, Christian Curran, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rob Sneckenberg. And today we're going to discuss a recent decision from the Federal Circuit dealing with treatment of proposal errors. And that case is Safeguard Base Operations, LLC. Rob, can you give us a little background on the case to set the stage? Sure, Christian. So this was a Department of Homeland Security procurement for dorm management services at a federal law enforcement training center in Georgia. It was a commercial item acquisition or commercial services acquisition that was going to be conducted under FAR parts 12 and part 15. And it had a base period and then seven one-year option periods. And we're really gonna focus on the pricing evaluation. And as Christian said, really the notion of proposal errors or what some would say was actually not an error or at least safeguard alleged here. So the errors or alleged errors had to do with the price submission in Safeguard's proposal. The solicitation, as many solicitations do, included uh, Section B tables where offers were supposed to provide prices for various CLINs. And for certain CLINs, they were supposed to provide supporting information for those CLINs. For others, they were not. Relevant here, there were a series of CLINs that were going to be essentially plug numbers. They were going to be not to exceed amounts that were provided by the government. So the government set the amounts, the contractor could not change them. And in fact, the initial solicitation said in all caps, do not submit pricing for these CLINs. So don't do it, don't submit pricing, which again makes sense because it's government provided information. So Rob, given that instruction, Did the government actually provide the plug numbers themselves with the solicitation as well? Ironically, no. And this is common, you know, just an oversight here in the initial solicitation. The solicitation said it would provide the information, but the information was not actually there. So then some offers asked Q&As. This is a great example of how to use the Q&A process. But offers asked Q&As saying, hey, we're going to need this information. And in response to Q&As, The government provided the requisite information and said for offers to please provide the information in their pricing. Now, I would say critically or somewhat critically to the decision, depending on how you read it, the government did not amend the solicitation. It just had this Q&A where it provided the additional information and asked offers to please provide the information in their proposals. So now fast forward, Safeguard submits its proposal. Other offers submit proposals. There are seven total offers. And there were a series of awards, protests, corrective action here, leading to the ultimate protest that we're dealing with. In each of the stages, Safeguard was eliminated, at least partially on the basis, that in its pricing proposal, Safeguard did not provide the government plug numbers for those CLINs. For whatever reason, Safeguard omitted that information for those CLINs or that pricing for those CLINs in its proposal. Now, I said there were a few rounds of awards, protest corrective actions. In some of the earlier protests, there were potentially some additional issues or errors in Safeguard's proposal. But we don't need to focus on that because the decision as it's written seems like by the time we got to the protests that we're concerned with, the issues had been narrowed to just Safeguard's failure to provide those plug number pricing. So in the final evaluation, the government eliminated Safeguard and specifically said that the elimination was because Safeguard didn't provide that information. Quote, Safeguard's price proposal was determined non-compliant because the price volume failed to include government-provided amounts. 
for those CLINs. So Safeguard protested that elimination to GAO, then the Court of Federal Claims, and then appealed that to the Federal Circuit, and had a number of different arguments, all variations on the theme that the solicitation didn't require Safeguard to provide that information since it was government-provided information, or that the solicitation was conflicting or ambiguous because the Q&A responses potentially conflicted with that all caps, do not submit pricing for these CLINs information. Some additional arguments Safeguard raised were that even if the information was required, this was not a material noncompliance, so the agency should not have eliminated its proposal on that basis. However, ultimately, the Court of Federal Claims held and the Federal Circuit affirmed that this was material information that the solicitation required to be submitted, and the agency acted within its discretion and in accordance with the solicitation when it eliminated Safeguard's proposal. So Safeguard was out just because it didn't provide this government-provided information in its proposal. Thanks, Rob. That's really interesting. I mean, given that these plug numbers were government-provided numbers that presumably were supposed to be the same for all offerors, couldn't the government just have kind of spotted them, the numbers? Yeah, so that's, that's a really interesting question because depending on what stage of the procurement you look at, initially, that is what the government did. Initially, in the very first round, the government price evaluator said, okay, the information is not there in their proposal, but we know what it is and we're just going to adjust their price and recommended that they be included in a competitive range or you know, included further in the procurement for award decision. However, later on, the source selection authority determined no, and ultimately the decision was that the government would not adjust it. And curiously, through the course of this protest, at one point in an earlier round of the procurement, Safeguard actually protested, saying that the government should not be allowed to adjust its price because price realism, unlike cost realism, doesn't allow for such adjustments. Typically, in a cost reimbursement contract, in every cost reimbursement contract, there's a cost realism evaluation. And if the government thinks that an offer's price is not realistic, they will adjust the cost. In a price procurement context, however, price realism, the government can't adjust an offer's price because the offer's price is the price. However, the government is limited to assessing risk in the proposal if it deems the price unrealistic. Safeguard in an earlier round protested on that specific issue saying the government can't adjust our price because this is a price to cleanse, not cost cleanse. And ironically, then later on, it seems kind of counterintuitive that the agency couldn't just adjust the price. But the Federal Circuit did note that in a footnote that Safeguard had made that argument previously. Yeah, it's kind of a tough spot to be in, right? Because you're right about the, obviously, about the cost versus price realism implications. And I guess the court didn't think that this was any different just because they were plug numbers. Was this a problem that was just limited to safeguard or did other offerors have the same issue? Yeah, actually, four of the seven offers had this issue. (laughs) So it seems like it was not just a problem with safeguard. And it seems like multiple offers were confused by this and also confused by the fact that the initial solicitation, again, all caps said, do not submit pricing. There was actually a dissent in this case. Judge Newman issued a dissent in which she said, look, this was an issue that confused other offers. This shouldn't have been a material noncompliance, it sh- or whether or not it was material. There was at least some conflict with the initial solicitation language and then the Q&A language. 
And because the agency did not actually amend the solicitation to clarify, she dissented saying it was improper to eliminate safeguard and four of the seven over half of the offers based on this issue. It strikes me as how is it material to say, oh, we don't know what your pricing is going to be when in fact you do know exactly what the pricing is going to be because it's a government provided number that they couldn't deviate from. It's a bit odd and there is definitely a tension throughout the decision where the agency stated and the majority held that there would need to be an entirely revised price proposal. But at the same time, why does it need to be entirely revised when the court is also stating the specific amount by which the price would need to be increased because it was a government provided amount? It's a really interesting and kind of confusing conundrum that a safeguard found itself in in a series of arguments here, saying that's why we have a pretty thorough dissent on that issue in addition to the majority opinion. Yeah, the materiality discussion is very interesting, given that I think Safeguard also argued that this could have been resolved through clarification or the agency could have waived it as a minor nonconformity. But the court obviously didn't agree with that for the reasons you noted. And it's kind of interesting in trying to figure out where do you draw the line on materiality and clarifications, right? I mean, is it a clarification to simply say, did you mean to include the government plug numbers, right? It seems like the court came down on the side of the agency here, noting that, well, you'd have to fill the numbers in and then that changes the total price. And so they they steered clear of blessing that clarification argument and instead they shot it down. But you're right. It's, to me, that's not a It's a hard line to draw in a situation like this, but I think part of what maybe colored that is the fact that there was language in the solicitation, right, that noted that you could be kicked out for failing to provide any type of pricing information. And perhaps had that not been there, this would have turned out to be a different case. Yeah, no, I mean, there is a thorough decision from the majority here citing, as you just noted, and thanks for highlighting that. The language about all of the price information needs to be submitted, offers can be kicked out if they fail to provide any information. A lot of solicitations have that language. Some don't, but a lot do. Whether that language becomes material, whether an omission is a clerical omission or not, whether a change to a proposal would actually be a substantive change that would require discussions versus a minor clarification that the litmus test is, does it require a change to the proposal? Those are issues that are routinely litigated. And here, the court obviously evaluated the totality of the circumstances and came out with a holding that this would have been a substantive change. It seems a tough outcome here where four out of the seven offers were eliminated on this basis. And it seems that to promote competition in this procurement, it may have been advisable to allow this minor clarification where it was a government-provided number or to deem the addition of the government-provided number to be a clarification rather than a substantive change. But at the end of the day, there was enough language in the solicitation that offers needed to strictly comply. And this really just provides a great example of, of the importance. You don't know at the outset what's going to be material, what's not going to be material. But this underscores the importance of ensuring that your proposal is 100% compliant with the requirements. You may have arguments as Safeguard did, Safeguard had some arguments that certainly have some appeals to them. The dissent found appeal in them. 
But regardless of your arguments, you want to avoid this situation in the first instance by being fully compliant. Yeah, I think that's the real bottom line here, that the agencies have a lot of discretion, especially if they put in pretty strict compliance language in the solicitation. So as you noted, while you may have a colorable argument to try to go at that later, if you get kicked on something that appears to be minor, it's no guarantee. So you got to be super careful. Well, thanks for that discussion, Rob. I think this is an enlightening decision and a cautionary tale for contractors to continue to be mindful that you're looking at those Q&As, looking at the solicitation very closely and meeting all those requirements. So that's all we have for today. We'll keep an eye out for similarly interesting cases like this to discuss on future podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.